Hi, everybody. Hope you had a good sitting. So nice to sit in the warm summer evenings. It really shows us that we have everything we need to be happy. Be surrounded by this luxurious temperature. Mm. So nice. So a couple of weeks ago, I was asked by someone to give a talk on how to get along with others. And I've actually um, given or written four different versions of this talk in that time. And they're different not because I have different ideas about it, but because the topic is so big. And so I, I've delivered different talks to different groups of people. So this one, I, I hope, is a little bit more about how we think as practitioners in this tradition. But again, it's, it's not exhaustive in any way. And this seems more like a real course of study for us than something we can tackle in, in a talk, a Dharma talk, I've got this. But I think this is a really important topic for us to bring up right now, because you may have noticed that we're not getting along very well with each other. We're not necessarily in this Sangha, but as a culture. Maybe we're not getting along with our families. You know, uh, um, the people who do the protests down on the corner of uh, 12th and Commercial, you know, famously standing on opposite corners and talking past each other. So we've done a particular kind of not getting along in that we've politicized almost everything and we've lost our common sense of purpose and belonging. And as I've studied a little bit about this, I've come to realize that this is how cultures fail. And you can see this in the Middle East, not that the Middle East is different than us, but that the Middle East is, is a little farther along in the process so they're instructive, I think. So what's happened in the Middle East is that people begin to identify not as part of the larger culture, but as a member of a subgroup. So I might be a Sunni or a Shiite. I might be a Kurd or a Christian. And so politicians learn that they can, they can use these divisions and they pit one group against another and everybody loses some power in that and the politician can gain power. So as, as this happens, people feel disenfranchised. So they get more and more extreme in their positions. And they begin to feel like they have to be in charge or they will die. They will be extinguished. And so the middle ground uh, compromise, collective sense of belonging, are seen as naive and foolish. So that's, it's this downward spiral. And we're on that spiral right now. It's frightening. There's an underlying idea that makes that spiral possible. And that idea is very strong in our culture right now. And the idea is, it's all someone else's fault. So there's also a kind of a, a downward slippery slope to that idea. So if you believe it's someone else's fault, then you start by saying, well, I'll only be happy if you're different. So you go out and change. Let me know when you got it together. Then I'll be happy. 
But then after a while that leads to, I will only be happy if you're gone out of my life. And that can lead to, I'll only be happy if you're dead. You know, and if, if you think this isn't an actual thing, you know, look back at what happened with the Nazis. You know, they went down this slippery slope and, and they took that, I'll only be happy till if you're dead as um, the final solution. So it's, it's not as though we're in the same situation. We have strong institutions and, and, um, and some reasons why this isn't necessarily happening for us. But I think it's important to see that what we're doing now, if we don't check it, can have some seriously detrimental effects. Okay, so that's the, that's the um, dire scenario. But what do we do about it? Well, the first thing we do is we, we come back to that idea that this is all someone else's fault and we have to counter that. We have to really know that changing other people is impossible. You know, we really have to know this. Um, and this path of suffering that we're on right now as a culture is all about trying to change other people. It's all about pointing our finger out there and we just do that and we get more and more forceful about that until we, you know, we're thundering like some TV pundit and judging and condemning everyone except ourselves. But it doesn't help. It doesn't help. So we have to see this. We have to see that our whole project of making ourselves feel safe because you're going to change just won't work. So that leaves us with the alternative, which is changing ourselves. Letting go of changing the other and changing ourselves. So change in general is hard. It's really hard. And changing ourselves is really hard. But we don't have a choice. This lazy idea that I'm going to be happy if I get you to change is just false. So we really have no choice but to do the hard thing and change ourselves. It really takes a lot of courage. When we use the word courage, we usually think of someone who goes and faces some difficulty out there. You know, the person who goes out and slays the dragon. The soldier who faces the hail of bullets coming at them. But I'd like to also invite us to see that courage is about facing the demons within us, within ourselves. That that takes us just as much bravery as facing the demons outside. And since all our myths are really about facing the demons outside, we have to find ways to support ourselves and each other as we face the demons inside. It is not part of our, our cultural meme to see that as, as um, real courage. But the good news here is that where we're headed is really easy. And where we're headed is love. And I say love is really easy because it is our birthright. It is our nature from the get-go. We were born with Buddha nature. 
We were born with that of God in us, as Quakers like to say. And love is what we find when we've laid down all those things that block us from expressing love. It doesn't take any more effort than that. So we don't have to, we, the good news is we don't have to go in and make ourselves better and make ourselves more loving. It's already there. All we have to do is start to take the bricks out of the wall that prevent us from letting that just naturally flow forth. And the other bit of that good news is that everyone has this loving nature. Everyone, no exceptions. It's, it's well covered in many of us, in most of us, but that doesn't mean it's not there. So as we are working on changing ourselves, we can remember that the person that's most challenging to us also has this same loving nature. And it gives us a little bit more um, courage to change what we need to make ourselves vulnerable. So the irony here is that we don't set out to change others, but changing ourselves actually does change others. You know, someone was mentioning before we started tonight, they, they were watching Sister Peace talk about, uh, as an introduction to the work she was doing online, and that her words made everyone feel like they had gotten a hug, even across Zoom. So there's a perfect example of how changing herself changed others. She was simply skilled at allowing that loving nature to come out, and you could feel it across the internet. And it changed you. So it's an irony. We don't set out to change others, but we do change others. So I'd like to invite us to do just a little exercise around that. What I'd like to invite you to do is bring to mind someone in your life who is loving and inspiring. When I say call to mind, I mean bring their presence right in front of you. Right here, right in front of you. Whether they're living or dead, whether they're someone you personally know or someone you know of, doesn't matter. Bring them right here. Now, as you share this space with them, how do you feel when you're with that person? And how do you behave with this person's presence right in front of you? Now, while you have that in mind, while you have that in body, let's do the opposite exercise. Let's now invite someone to come right in front of you that is challenging and difficult. How do you feel with their presence right in front of you? What is the physical bodily sensation of their presence?
and how would you behave with them right in front of you? So if you're like me, when I do that exercise and I pull to mind and bring in front of me someone that I love and that is inspiring, my heart opens up. I, my body feels calm. I feel that when I act, I will act from a place of, of love and acceptance of myself. I'm not self-conscious. I feel like I can be myself and, and fully flower in the world. And when I pull to mind someone who is difficult, my body feels constricted. I feel small. And I think about my behavior, and my behavior feels defensive. Like, like I'm afraid they're going to attack me, and I need to put up a barrier. So it is, we know this as practitioners, we are aware of how much we interact and inter-are with others. We're already aware of this. But I just want to call this to mind because it's, it's true that as we change ourselves, we are actively changing others. Whether we change ourselves for better or for worse, we are changing other people in ways that may be hard to, hard to recognize. So what is this that we need to change? So we need to transform the beliefs and behaviors that block us from expressing our inherent loving nature. So it's actually, it's actually quite easy. It's not building something, it's slowly taking something down. And that is that those are the behaviors and the beliefs that block us from expressing that internal loving nature that block us from being the person you brought in front of you that was so loving and supportive and instead create us as someone who is difficult and cause defensiveness and shrinking of the people around us. So I'd like to offer um, a three-step practice for this. And this will, this will be familiar to you. The first step is we set an intention. We set an intention to break these structures down. And intentions are about pointing us in a direction that we want to go. So the, the analogy we use a lot in our practice is we talk about our intentions being like the North Star. You can look in the sky, you can find the North Star, and you can move in that direction and you know you're going the direction you want to go. But you also let go of the idea that you will arrive at the North Star. You will never arrive at the North Star. It's simply there to give you a direction to go. The North Star itself is many light years away, and we, you'll never get there. But that doesn't mean it's not important anyway. So that's what intentions do for us. They set us in the direction we want to go. Without clear intentions, we will repeat our old patterns of behavior and beliefs until we die. 
So there's a real risk of not setting intentions that we will just continue to do this over and over and over and over again with a lot of regret at the end of our lives. So as we set our intentions, that also begins to set an intention for our culture. If enough of us are moving towards that North Star, the culture is moving toward that North Star. Even if others are going a different direction, we can help shift us all. So in our practice, we have beautiful tools for setting intentions. So I just want to talk about gatas tonight as a, as a, as a, a way of setting intentions. And you've heard some of these gatas before, but I'm just going to share with you uh, four of them. And I'm sharing these with you not because these are the intentions I, I am saying you need to have these intentions, but because they are an example of the intention setting process. And my hope is that each of us will set the intention that our heart asks us to set, to move toward being able to be that loving person as we interact with others. And these all do some of that, but I would really want you to do it for yourself in the way that works for you. So the first got is when we wake up in the morning. Waking up this morning, I smile. 24 brand new hours are before me. I vow to live fully in each moment and to look at all beings with the eyes of compassion. Imagine starting every day with that intention. So here's one simple for brushing your teeth. Brushing my teeth and rinsing my mouth, I vow to speak purely and lovingly. When my mouth is fragrant with right speech, a flower blooms in the garden of my heart. When Sister Peace used right speech in this way, flowers bloomed in the gardens of all the people's hearts that were listening to her. How wonderful. So here's one for walking. The mind can go in a thousand directions, but on this beautiful path, I walk in peace. With each step, a gentle breeze blows. With each step, a flower blooms. And here's one for texting, emailing, having a phone conversation. Imagine saying this to yourself before you answered the phone or before you answered the email. Words can travel thousands of miles. May my words create mutual understanding and love. May they be as beautiful as gems, as lovely as flowers. So you may want to set some intentions for yourself to allow the garden of your heart to bloom in this way. So some of those things you might set an intention around would be maybe making your meditation practice more regular. Uh, or you might want to set an intention to watch while you're out on your walks to collect things for your altar from nature that, that re remind you how supportive the natural world is as you're opening your heart. Or maybe you want to have a more active kind of intention, like you might decide you want to get together with a friend or a small group of friends and form a learning to love group 
know, that you can form the intention of supporting each other as you learn to love other people and yourself more deeply and fully. So those are just some ideas, but I trust you to take this where it needs to go. Okay, the second of the third three steps. The first one was intention. The second one is our old friend stopping. So our beliefs and our habits arise before we're even aware that they're there. We react like a machine. You know, when, they, when a computer is programmed, uh, when input A happens, output B occurs. And it happens in microseconds. Boom, just like that. Well, our brain is a computer and it's doing exactly the same thing. When input A happens, output B, boom, just like that. So we have to practice stopping in order to have any possibility of not simply repeating the patterns that we've carried likely our whole lives. It, this, this is the practice of learning to respond rather than react. When we react, it's automatic. When we respond, we have the ability to base it on our intention and respond from our intention. A reaction has no intention in it other than what was there to create it years ago. So we hope to respond rather than react. So what would these stopping practices look like? Well, these are the practice, very, the very essence of what we do together. So they are ways to train us to wait before we respond. So for instance, we may take a breath. There, that broke the reaction, the instantaneous reaction. A single breath broke that. Uh, if we find ourselves in a difficult situation with someone, we may choose to excuse ourselves until we can find our, our solidity again, until we can be calm. We can, we can recognize that if we don't give ourselves some space, we might just be reaction machines. We might just be reactionaries, as people like that are called. So we can excuse ourselves and wait for calmness to be restored before we try and engage again. And the one of another one of our practices for stopping that we do all the time, mindfulness bells. Now, you know, we think the mindfulness bell has to be this. doesn't. It can be all kinds of different things. You can make mindfulness bells out of anything that you want. You can make a mindfulness bell out of the shaft of sunlight that shines through your kitchen window in just that place. And every time you see it, uh, tonight before I started to give this talk, I, I lit a stick of incense. And that's a mindfulness bell for me. When the fragrance comes oh, 
all those years of meditating and practicing with that fragrance stopped me. It can be the sound of the telephone ringing. It can be the sound of the jets taking off from the Naval Air Station and flying over. It can be anything that you choose. Everything is a mindfulness bell. We just have to agree that it's a mindfulness bell for us. So that's one. That's some of the things, and you can think of some other things that remind you to stop. But I think it's important that we practice stopping every day. So that might mean creating quiet time for yourself every day. Meditation. Um, you know, in that quiet time, we can allow our awareness to arise, and we can learn to be with uncomfortable things. And this process of stopping is a lot about letting things be as they are and being with uncomfortable things. Because when that mindfulness bell goes off, sometimes you go, ah, oh, this is lovely. And sometimes you go, oh, this is so painful. But I'm willing to be here with it. So stopping, it's a practice we're familiar with, but that's the second step. So we set an intentions, we practice stopping, and finally, the third step here is letting go. Letting go. Another old friend of ours. And why letting go? Because we already possess awakened nature. It's already here in us. And when we let go, we are letting go of the blocks that prevent our awakened nature from expressing itself in our body, in our awareness, and in the world out there. So when we let go, we are very specifically letting go of the things that block that experience. A friend described recently the experience of, of this loving awareness as being like the blue sky. And the more we get to know our own blue sky, the easier it is for us to realize we have to let go of everything that is not blue sky for the blue sky to be visible and available to us. So I like to offer a letting go practice that I've shared before, but I find it to be of a very transformative practice of mine that I come back to again and again and again. And it really is this process of, of recognizing our blocks, letting go of them, and allowing that loving nature to do all the work. So the practice is this. Breathing in, I breathe things in exactly as they are. I'm willing to see clearly that this is as it is. As I breathe in, I feel there's tension in my chest. As I breathe in, I know that it's completely silent in this room except for my voice. As I breathe in, I see things as they are. And as I breathe out, 
I touch that deep well of awakened nature. I turn over things as they are to that deep well of awakened nature. And I relax completely and let go and let awakened nature breathe out. So practice this for a moment. Notice your in-breath, taking in things exactly as they are. And out-breath, completely letting go and allowing awakened nature to breathe out. You might, as you breathe out, completely relax your body and allow the air simply to find its way out. The breathing in, the accepting things as they are, that's the part that takes effort. The letting go, the breathing out, the allowing of love to express itself takes no effort at all. So this is what we've covered this evening. We've realized that trying to change others isn't working very well. We have to have the wisdom and courage to change ourselves. And we change ourselves by setting intentions, by stopping our automatic, unskillful reactions, and by letting go of all that isn't love so that we can effortlessly embody love. This practice leads us to deep happiness that makes getting along with others a joy. It helps us all flourish together. We drop the idea that I have to change, that I have to do this. We realize that we are all flourishing together when I can breathe in things as they are and let love breathe out. So that's what I wanted to say tonight. Gail, I'm wondering if we might have um, three sounds of the bell. <laughs>